Welcome to the I Love Alt Mortgages podcast, brought to you by Home Trust. And now, your host, Brennan Trenuth. Hey, Broker Nation. Today on the podcast, we are joined by JC Hasco, mortgage broker at Mortgage Architects Experts. In this episode, JC gets real about the challenges of becoming a broker, including lead generation and building a strong reputation. Plus, he shares with us why brokers need patience to succeed in this industry. Hey, Broker Nation, this is I Love Vault Mortgages. I'm your host, Brennan Trenuth, and today we are sitting down with JC Hasco, mortgage broker from Mortgage Architects Experts. JC, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brennan. So we just wanted to do a little background, find out a bit more about your journey so far in the mortgage industry, how long you've been in it, you know, maybe what you were doing beforehand, if you want to go into that a bit. It's a pretty uh, pleasant story. I don't know if you guys were ever informed by Kelly, but before becoming a mortgage broker, I was actually working for uh, the city of Toronto, specifically on the political aid side. The politician that I worked for right before coming here was one of the city councillors. And then before him, I was actually working for Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto at that time. And did a little bit of work for Doug too when he was looking to become mayor of Toronto at that time and he ended up becoming the premier. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, pretty much just kind of jumped into the industry with zero experience in both real estate as well as finance. Yeah. And when did you join in the mortgage industry? How many years ago? So officially I joined in October of 2016. So I really got my first full year 2017. Right. And I always tell people like that was kind of like the best and the worst time to join because that's right around the time where B20 rules were actually coming into effect literally Mm -hmm. right at that time. As I'm joining in, we're holding all these meetings about how the world's coming to an end. And I had just literally quit my job to right. you know become a mortgage broker i left my nice cushy political government salary to become a mortgage broker and here i am everybody's telling me you just messed up yeah yeah no exactly so then you joined into the mortgage industry with no real experience there so what were some of the challenges you mentioned b20 but were there anything else that was a little challenging for you when you first started out i think the challenges especially for like newer agents and especially even more so for individuals who don't have that experience in the industry are twofold. Number one, first and foremost, right off the bat is the lead generation, right? Like where's your next paycheck coming from? Mm -hmm. Like I went eight months without my first paycheck. So, you know, at first you have this idea or this belief that, yeah, you can get deals done, but you know, how do you convince a client? Like, listen, I'm here as the best individual to represent you. So that's sort of the first issue. And I would say the second issue, which also goes hand in hand, is the credibility in the eyes of the lender, right? How credible are you as an agent who's submitting a file, right? And how do you get that credibility? Well, you have to have clients. You have to have that, you know, actual resume. So I think those two challenges kind of go hand in hand. What comes first, right? Like the chicken or the egg. Yeah. So it's difficult to build up the leads and more importantly, build up that credibility with the lenders and build up your reputation. And that's an interesting point that you made there that it took you eight months to get your first paycheck too. And I see 
a lot of times in I Love Mortgage Brokering, there's always people asking questions about, you know, how long did it take you to get your first paycheck and things like that? And, you know, it ranges from, you know, a month to, you know, a year or whatnot. So yeah, I think it's really important for new agents coming into the industry to understand that, you know, it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication and that first pay may not come, you know, right away as you think that it would with, you know, a nice cushy job, right? It's going to take some time to kind of set into that role. So obviously, so you've been in the industry a couple of years now. What's one of the most important lessons that you've learned so far in your early career? So even though it's an early career, I would tell people patience. And it kind of goes back to the exact two challenges that we were talking about, right? This reputation building, it takes time, right? Like there's no substitute for that, right? And the more deals you carry out, it's a compounding effect where more people are starting to hear more and more about your name, whether it be it on the lender side as well as the actual borrower side. So really the biggest thing is patience. When I started, I was 26 years old. And I'm happy that that was the age where I started because had I been any younger, then you know I would have been foolish enough to do things that I shouldn't have been doing per se, right? Sure. When I first joined, I remember one of the first leads I got, somebody comes up to me and says, I have this deal, I'm buying this house, and I can get you the pay stubs. And I'm like, well, you're self-employed. How can you get me pay stubs? He goes, oh, I have somebody that's taking care of that, right? Now, when you're a 22 or 23-year-old, you're foolish enough to you know, chase that money. Sure. Right? But when you're in your late 20s and you're really starting to chase a career path instead of a mm-hmm. paycheck, then you're patient enough to say, you know what, I'm just going to pass here. I'm going to wait. The good ones will come along. I'm just going to take the easy right now and we'll move forward from there. So patience, and that's the biggest thing. And it's hard to be patient when, you know, you're literally like struggling to pay your bills, right? But sure, you just kind of, you have to bite the bullet. For sure. Well, obviously your, you know, hard work and dedication so early on in your career has, you know, started to pay off. You started to see some some benefits to it. Obviously, last year you were named one of CMP's rising stars in 2021. So, you know, maybe just tell us, you know, why you think that you were recognized for this award. What is it that you were doing that, you know, people saw this and said, you know what, I'm gonna nominate him to be a rising star? It's a good question. I uh I don't really know to be honest. I just said like, especially last year. As mortgage brokers, we have this belief like we always have to be out there. We always have to be mingling. And there is phases to careers. There is progressions to careers. So early on, I was doing a lot of, let's say, the whining and dining part. And I was doing well. Don't get me wrong. I had my $20 million to $25 million years, which is still considered pretty good. And then um, there comes a point in your time where you say, okay, now it's time to buckle down even more, right? There's always levels to it. So I think last year I was like, okay, I think I'm done with the mingling side. And I think now it's time to really buckle down, put the head down. And I was in the office, especially last year, I was in the office every day, like 13, 14 hours a day, right? And that's just pure underwriting. And I think maybe I spent two days mingling all last year. Part of that has to do with COVID as well. There was nowhere to go, right? But it kind of yeah. forced me to buckle down a little bit more in terms of the underwriting side and the paperwork and the admin side. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, that forces you to also you know your client better, KYC, you know, number one rule of underwriting, right? So now you have sure. more time to actually sit down, look at the paperwork more, understand the client more. And at that time, you already have the ability to see 
what kind of business structure this client has and how to actually position the deal in front of the underwriter. So I guess last year was kind of the next level of reaching an even better understanding of the underwriting process and how to structure deals even better than ever before. Yeah. So obviously, you know, your office and others in the industry, you know, recognize that you were really buckling down on this. You were really trying to be more involved and more, you know, aware of what was going on and really trying to understand that deal more completely, which is really important in this day and age. Anyways, KYC is so important. We talk about it. We preach it every single day when we're talking with our broker partners. What's one quality that you think an alternative broker needs to be successful in this industry? I'm going to go back and say, once again, patience. Like, yeah. And that's first and communication second. And the reason why I go into the communication side of things is it's hard to try and explain to a client, you know, here's what the facts are. Here's where your T1 generals are. You don't qualify for this, right? There's so many other individuals out there, not just brokers, but especially MMS mobile agents at the branches or whatever, always saying, I can get this done. I can get this done. Right. When you know, like the numbers just don't add up. Right. So as an alternative broker, you really have to sit your clients down and say, here's the numbers. Right. Oftentimes, like what I always do is I'll bring somebody in to the office. I'll literally open up my file logics and I'll say, it's very simple. It's math. Here's your GDS, here's your TDS, here's what your line 150 says, and your TDS is at 120%. So how are you going to make this work, right? How is this branch person going to make it work, right? Mm -hmm. Unless they're doing something fishy, which people don't want that. People don't want, you know, to go yep. ahead and start forging documents. So in terms of being an alternative broker, it's always a matter of sitting down with the client, explaining to them what the situation is, what the process is what the interest rate is, and also breaking down, okay, here's your amortization with a cheaper lender, and here is the amortization with the actual alternative lender. At the end of the day, the only way you're going to get ahead is if you're actually making prepayments. Don't let the interest rate fool you, because at the end of the day, even in the first five years with an A lender, you're paying 50, 60% interest on that money. Sure. Yeah. So people don't understand that. So it's more about the communication side of things and explaining to them what the process is, what the benefits are to a B lender in terms of their current position, and really breaking down how the cost of borrowing isn't that big of a difference, even though it seems like it on paper. Like, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions to you is obviously most clients believe that they are an A client. And then once they start sitting down with a mortgage broker and they start going through the numbers, the income, you know, you talk about ratios, loan to value, things like that, you know, it comes out that they may not be an A client, they're probably a B client or maybe even a private for a temporary solution. And it's about, you know, how do you manage those conversations and those expectations with those clients when they're really dead set on thinking that they're A? And I know, you know, a lot of newer agents here, a client comes in, you know, I'm an A client, I'm an A client. And maybe there's some nerves there happening and oh, sorry, like, you know, and they start to get nervous and things like that. So yeah. how do you manage that conversation being, you know, four or five years now into the business? Well, I go back to uh, B20. I remember like sitting down first quarter of 2017, sitting down with both Equitable as well as Home Trust at that time and talking about how the landscape was changing. And I remember both BDMs for both lenders said our new average credit score is like 710. It used to be like low 600s, 
Mm-hmm. So what was once A is B. Like right. that's across the board. And I always mm-hmm. remember that statistic. Like I thought that was so shocking and so telling, right? I mean, how do you jump a hundred, <laughs> you know, points on your credit yeah. you know, like across the board? Like that's really insane. And that essentially told me where the industry was headed. My first year, I was still trying to, you know, force myself in terms of, oh, I can get you the best rate and so on and so forth. You know, the whole spiel that mortgage brokers early on carry out in their career. But I remember sitting in that meeting with, was it Rose? Rose was a BDM at that time. Yeah. And I remember her telling me these statistics and I'm like, okay, I see exactly where this is headed, right? Like, I didn't know anything about the industry. I just knew, okay, okay, this is for real. And now Mm -hmm. it's time to actually capitalize on that. So a lot of the negative connotation sometimes is, you know, people think, oh, it's a subprime loan, so on and so forth. And I have to always bring clients back and tell them, listen, the average person, 700 beacons for it's not like these are individuals that are like on the verge of bankruptcy and have to go back like there is a bucket of that don't get me wrong there is Mm -hmm. you know the lower credit scores and so on and so forth but i find especially with b lenders usually it's real estate investors right Mm -hmm. a lot of doctors a lot of construction guys like you know the hardest clients to explain that to is the actual healthcare community like doctors right because you know they have their corporations and they structure things but usually they come around they see the cost and they're able to see okay here's what i would pay in taxes Mm -hmm. if i was to take a additional dividend out of my corporations and here's what i would be saving in terms of interest if i leave that money inside the company all right so that's another thing that i always dive into is here's what you would pay on taxes if you want to try and go to the bank and qualify through Mm -hmm. 50 here's what you're paying on interest and how much you're saving in relation to paying taxes if you mm-hmm. want me into your business. Exactly. You almost have to play like the role of a borderline accountant too at times. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, just, you know, managing that expectation. And, you know, at the end of the day, having a B mortgage is not bad, right? Like it's a good solution for a lot of people. And like you said, having that conversation about your line 150 or taxes that you have to start paying if you want to be able to, you know, get into an A lender, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of great solutions out there. If you don't mind me asking from a percentage standpoint, what's the distribution of your business that you do in a year or so, you know, whether it's A or, you know, alternative? So I'll give you what I did my first year and then I'll tell you what I did last year. So in my first year, I would have said it was probably split 80-20 towards the A lenders. Sure. And this last year I did zero A deals. I had two clients that were A, true A. And what I do is whenever I have those A clients, I just say, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have one of my colleagues work with you on this. Mm -hmm. This is the more experienced individual in this, right? So I don't want to turn that client away, but at the same time, I don't want to take on that file, even though I could do it. I don't want to take on that file and not give the 100 percent that that client deserves so usually i bring that client on i'll have another one of my colleagues work on it and we'll just split it down the middle usually that's what i carry out yes but i mean that's a massive sway from your original split when you first started out to now being you know basically 100 percent alternative whether that's b and private right so what do you think that you would attribute that to whether it's just more clients becoming self-employed or are you seeing just with b20 ratios just are too high to qualify? I think there's many levels to that question. I mean, first I would say birds of a feather, they flock together, right? Like the real estate investors, especially let's say uh, the construction or the builder community, right? 
it's a small circle. So they talk amongst each other, right? So yeah. one of the things that I did was when I first started really to dive into alternative space in year two is, you know, I would approach people and I would say, are you looking to buy a house, right? And instead of waiting for that lead, I would approach people directly before they even had spoken to a real estate agent. And I would say, do you know you can qualify for a B loan, right? Give me your six month bank statement. Let me see, do you have your 20% down payment, right? So people don't know what they don't know. And I kind of felt like I need to explain to people that they can qualify for certain things because they're not even aware of that space, right? So a lot of it was educating people before they even knew they were buyers. Right. So that was a big part of it. And like I mentioned before, like those individuals have their own circles. Now, one of my buddies just bought a house. Mm -hmm. I'm in the same industry. Why can't I buy one, right? Oh, for sure. So how does having a good relationship with you know, your BDM and lender partners really help you and your business when you talk about, you know, continuing to grow your business. Yeah, it's everything. I mean, you have to know the product inside and out, really. And if you don't, then, you know, God help you. Like yeah. the BDMs, they're truly lifesavers. And I don't say that just because you're on the podcast. Like, yeah, you know, like Kelly is like a lifesaver. I can't even tell you how many times, you know, she's picked up the phone at God knows what hour because we're trying to get a deal done. So I think, again, going back to that original point of having that patience in terms of building your reputation with the lender, it's important to make sure that you're not wasting anybody's time. Like one of the biggest things that I take pride of isn't even like the volumes that I funded, it's actually the efficiency ratio. Mm -hmm. Because I know specifically if I'm submitting a deal and I've only funded four out of 10, right? At a 40%, like whoever that underwriter is, they're going to be like, ah, oh, shit, here we go. Right. Like, if right. I can go through, am I going to have to put out a commitment mm -hmm. and just have it fall apart? Sure. So I always took pride in my efficiency. And personally, I think that's the biggest thing that builds up one's reputation. I could be wrong. I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing that builds up the reputation in the eyes of the lender because, you know, resources are limited, right? Like you guys see it, how much backlog you have right now today. Mm -hmm time right so if you guys have a backlog and you know that this broker is only going to complete 40 percent, then you're like okay this guy's going to the bottom of the pile at least that's what i would think i don't know if that's <laughs> practice you don't need to comment on that but that's kind of how i viewed it no but efficiency ratios are very important to us as well i mean when you're looking at overall book of business and looking at brokers submitting deals to you obviously we want to be able to deal with brokers that have really good efficiency levels with us, regardless of the level of, you know, monetary amount that's being sent to us, you really still want to have an efficient broker and you want to make sure that the underwriters, like you said, you know, aren't really wasting their time. They're getting good deals in the door. Yeah. You're going to lose the one here and there for whatever reason, but as long as you're maintaining a good efficiency level with a lender, you're going to be in the good books. Right. And that's what you want at the end of the day. That's it. Do you have any kind of client story, maybe a unique situation that would really showcase maybe your approach to building a good alternative application and how you approach that deal? And then maybe how, you know, the lender kind of looked at it and how we were able to help that client out. Cause I know there's a lot of crazy situations that we see out there. Maybe there's one that you did and how, you know, it was able to get done. There's like way too many to count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, what I would truly say is brokers sometimes they look at the easy way out in terms of looking at a deal figuring out okay this is going to require a lot of work and just saying mm -hmm. you know what this is too much i'm just going to go private right 
So I think my biggest concern is people pulling the trigger a little too quickly on the private side. Right now we have one where it's almost an eight figure deal that we're working on. Right? Mm -hmm. When I first met that client, he was like, oh, this is a private all the way. Right. And it's funny because that individual have tried working with other brokers. They just didn't know how to structure it. Right. So sure. that guy, I approached him and I said, why private? Like, it's an easy deal for me to just say, okay, here's a private. I'll make my percentage on it. I can sleep easy at night. So mm -hmm. that specific deal, I pushed back against him and I said, I can get it done. Right. Like a little bit arrogant on my part, but I just kind of knew I was like, I know I can get it done based on what you're telling me in terms of what you have in funds what you've done thus far, what your portfolio is, like, I knew I could get it done. Mm -hmm. So we're just in the process of finalizing that deal and preliminary underwriting is looking very good. But, you know, think about how much money that guy is saving, right? And, you know, on such a large loan out. amount too, right? Yeah. The easy way out is very simple. Anybody could go out there and say, here's a private sign on the dotted line. I mean, that's definitely a good story too. Like you said, obviously you were asking the right questions. Maybe previous people weren't asking those right questions or asking for different types of documentation. Whereas that's what, you know, you've been trained to do is, you know, ask all the questions, look at the documentation before you kind of, you know, pull the trigger on where you think it's going to go. Make sure that you understand it, make sure the client understands what you're going to do. And then, you know, I'm sure you probably reached out to your BDM on that, maybe even underwriting beforehand before spending to see if it truly is a deal that can get done. And, you know, obviously, hopefully everything goes through on that deal for you. But it seems yeah. like you did all the right things on it. Yeah, yeah, it's funding in March. So uh, <laughs> I'm staying confident in that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. It's a new year, 2022. What's your New Year's resolution for your business this year? Become friends with Alex Godfrey. <laughs> oh, he's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do, don't worry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all joking aside, and I already see it happening in terms of like the underwriter's mindset. And mm -hmm. I know that's something I got to improve on. But that's having the deal complete well before the funding date. You know, procrastination, it's a funny thing. It's a pretty good motivator at the same time. Like, it's almost like you're back in high school where, you know, the homework is due this date and you're just going to wait and then just jam everything in the night before and just sure. get that paper out right so i'm still susceptible to that mentality and specifically i know i need to do a better job of having files complete well in advance prior mm -hmm. to that closing date i know the standard is supposed to be five days prior to i can't say i always meet that expectation but i know i need to do a better job in 2022 and improve on that have deals actually completed well in advance not just five days but two weeks in advance, whatever the situation is. So, yeah, that's a really good resolution because obviously dealing in the alternative space, you know, those files are typically a little bit more convoluted and probably require, you know, a good amount of documentation. And like you said, getting it last minute puts a lot of stress on the underwriting team, puts stress on yourself, puts stress on the client looking to close that deal. So I think for anybody listening to this, that's a really good resolution. And you should probably add that to your, <laughs> to your new year resolution for, for 2022 as well. And like I said, I already see it heading in that direction where underwriters are being more tough on that. Like before you, okay, you could leave one item here and there, but sure. everybody's experienced pretty high volume still, even in this January market. So I could definitely see the direction headed where 
lenders are going to be more stringent on meeting that funding condition. So I think it also comes down to communication as well. If you're communicating that you're not able to get something by that date, but you can have it this date, as long as they're made aware of things, then I think they're, you know, a bit more open arms for that kind of stuff, but it is a really good resolution. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my focus, honestly, like, I hope I can stick to it for my own sake. But if you don't, you know who you'll be hearing from. <laughs> so many people. JC, I want to say thank you for joining us on the podcast. It was really great to get to know you. Big thank you for your support of Home Trust. Obviously, you do a good amount with Home Trust. And, you know, thank you for that support. And hopefully that we can continue to help you, you know, grow your business into 2022 and beyond that. No, it's been a pleasure. Like like I said, I can't stress enough to any young broker how important that relationship is with the lender. And Kelly is like a solid rock. Like I love working with the whole team. Like Kelly, Nikki, she's amazing. Sarah Rusko, like they're all amazing, right? Chris and Parody. So you're only as good as your tools are. And you know, you guys provide us with the right tools and, and that's all that matters, right? And as long as everybody has an understanding of what's expected of one another, you could do really great things. For sure. So thank you to you guys as well. And, yeah, no problem. Uh, hopefully we can keep going with the strong numbers. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of I Love All Mortgages. Remember, we have new episodes every Tuesday. Please go rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.